Well, as, uh, as I said, our missionaries were not able to be here today, uh, which would have been a little tricky if they were preaching. But I, I introduced last week something about Celtic missions. Uh, and, and I was interested in how, and, and from a book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism, how the gospel spread to Celtic people. They were, the Celts were a very pagan people. They worshipped all kinds of gods. They, uh, they were very tribal. They didn't really get along with people very well. Um, and Roman missions to the Celts were basically non-existent. Anybody who had tried, it really failed, and they basically didn't try. They just thought, oh, we can't reach those pagans. Then there was this guy named St. Patrick, and uh, he was a real guy. And uh, he, he went in and actually did amazing things to spread the gospel among the Irish people. Uh, well, that was sort of the center of a lot of Celtic culture at the time. And then that went so well that then uh, Celtic missionaries from Ireland went to all kinds of other places. And so it was a really pretty fascinating story of how they would do it. And wh what they would do is they would go in as missionaries in, in teams. Okay, Patrick would put together a team. It included men and women, lay people and the ordained and seminary students. He would bring in all kinds of different people into the community. And they would go into the community. They would get permission from the leader to be there. And then they would set up camp right next to the community and just live there. And they would meet the people and they would care for people's needs. They were very much into caring for people's needs in the community and building up the community, working for the common good of the community. And eventually they would build up the community so much they'd move in. And they would start a church, but it would be more than a church. It would be like a monastic sort of community, which I'm going to talk about in coming weeks, where people would live together. They would share things together. They would pray together, like monasteries, okay? like monks, but that didn't live there all the time. These people just lived and shared life together. But so much of the life wasn't just about uh, praying and, and being by yourself. It was also about going and caring for the community. And what would happen was people would see this community and these Christians and they'd say, I want to be a part of that. Why do you guys do that? And so the gospel just spread and spread among the Celtic people. They were also very good at contextualizing the gospel. Uh, so one of the only things you probably actually know about St. Patrick, besides his, his, uh, the date of his death, uh, which is St. Patrick's Day, uh, you probably have seen him with a three-leaf clover uh, or, or over there, uh, uh, this uh, shamrock. But he would use stuff like a shamrock, so a plant, to talk about the Trinity. He was very good at contextualizing the gospel to teach people, while at the same time critiquing the culture. And so one of the things I said last week was that this is where we are as a church. This is where we are as a church. Um, that it used to be that ministry happened in the church and missions happened when missionaries left the church and went overseas. Okay, probably you've used the language the same way, right? We do church ministry. Church ministry is we cook dinners and we're greeters. That's what ministry is. Okay, missions is we send, normally what we basically do is send money to help people go somewhere else around the world. But what I'm telling you is that this world has changed so much that that's not that distinction doesn't work anymore. Okay, just because you build a church, just because you build a really great church, doesn't mean people are going to come to it. Okay, it, it's like it's like the Celtic world. You're going to have to build deep community, and you're going to have to care 
for the common good in your community for people to be attracted to that and to find Jesus. And so I, I had planned this so that you would also be hearing today from a missionary to talk about what they, how they do some of this work. Um, but also today I wanted to look at a Bible text. And so we're, we're a little bit leaving the Celts behind for a day to explore this a little more in a Bible passage. Okay, and so I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. So let me read the story, and uh, you just open your hearts and minds to what God's saying. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. Uh, but if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and do not, they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, let, let's, just, let's just start with the obvious here. When we think of Jesus' ministry, we think of Jesus doing ministry. Almost all the stories you think about with Jesus, he's doing it. He's doing a miracle. He's doing a teaching. Okay, he's doing a healing. But here we have this interesting moment where Jesus is actually sending. He's sending people out ahead of him. So they're going to the towns that he's going to go, and they are preparing the way. And he's trying to tell them how he, they're supposed to do that. And he even says here that they're going to do miracles. That they're going to teach, and that they're going to do miracles. They're going to heal along the way these people that are going out ahead of him. So we're not used to thinking about this, but right there in the Gospels, we have Jesus sending out disciples ahead of him. Now, the other thing that probably struck you when I read this was 72 disciples. That strike anybody else? How many disciples did you think there were? 12. 12. Don't we always talk about the 12 disciples? We always talk about the 12 disciples. Okay. And even among the 12, Peter, James, and John get special time. They get, like, special treatment. But there's 12 disciples, right? Well, here's Jesus. He's got 72 disciples he can send out to do miracles and to speak ahead of him. Isn't that interesting? Like, he clearly had some special time with these 12, right? They're at the upper room. They're with him all the time. Sometimes he even pulls three off. But the fact that he has so many in the number, he sends them ahead to cast out demons, to do healings, and to face persecution. 
Man, how intimidating is that? Uh, I, I've been trying to tell people about this show called The Chosen, and, and uh, it's a st- story about Jesus and his disciples in a really creative way, but this is a particularly interesting episode uh, in season three of The Chosen, where the disciples are sent out in pairs to go to different places, and they have to do the healings. And when Jesus tells them they're going to go, they start really arguing with Jesus. And then he leaves, and then they start really talking about this with each other because they had never thought of themselves doing what Jesus did. And yet he sends them. He sends them. This would have been very intimidating. Can you imagine as a disciple? Can you imagine as one of the twelve? But can you imagine as one of the 72? Like, think about this for a second. What if you're not in the 12? Like, what if you're on the JV? Okay, you didn't make the starting lineup. You were not drafted in the first round. Okay, how many of you feel like that as a disciple? Like, I'm not great. Like, I show up, I'm okay, but I'm not a great disciple. Like, what if you're number 64? Okay, of the 72. You didn't get listed in the Bible. You're not in the upper room. And God says to you, go. Just because you're not in the 12 doesn't mean God doesn't have a mission for you. Just because you're not in the upper room doesn't mean God isn't sending you. A lot of us feel like, well, we're 71. (laughs) We're 70. Like, I just squeezed in the disciple. There's a lot better than me. And yet I'm telling you that God sends you. God sends you. And, and in this culture that we live in today, we've got to get this in our head because God sends all of us to this culture. So, let's look at then some of these instructions. Jesus is very specific about a whole bunch of things he tells these 72. First of all, we, we know that the Lord sends them. They don't just decide to go. Probably they don't really want to go. Okay, probably they are not making some kind of 20-year strategic plan where they're like, okay, we should go here, we should go here, we should go here. Jesus is sending them. You go where Jesus sends you. And where does Jesus send you? He, he's sending them to the places he intends to go. Did you catch that? Okay, Jesus is looking at all these towns and he's saying, well, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to go there, I'm going on this journey, I'm going to go this. And so what he would do is he'd have pairs of people go ahead to prepare the way. That was what they were doing. Get the people ready for when I show up. I don't know about you. I'd rather be where Jesus has already showed up. Like, I don't want to be the forward party. Because the forward party is not always going to be received really well. I'd rather Jesus take the heat than me take the heat. But sometimes what Jesus does with us is he sends us forward party. I want to do something here. It's really bad over there. But I want to do something there, and I'm going to send you to get it warmed up so that when I get there, something's really ready to go. That's intimidating. Notice that they go two by two. 72, but they go two by two. They go in partnership. I think ministry happens in partnership. It doesn't happen by yourself. And we, at church, we, we've got to get this. Because it's too easy in church for us to just say, well, I can just do it. I know what I'm doing. I'll just do it. I've done this for years. I'll just do it. Ministry happens in pairs. One of the things I'm, I'm asking a lot around here at this church is, who are you teaching how to do that? Hey, who are you calling to help you with that? Who are you bringing along? 
Um, a bit, Bill Webster, who preached a few weeks ago, has been coming to our church. I haven't, didn't see Bill here this morning. But one of the things Bill used to do at his church is, is he did not want people to have to start ministries and missions through this session. So here's what he told his people. He said, if you see a need, go find somebody else that sees the same need and start working on it. And once you start working on it, come tell the session when you need help. Come tell the session when you've got more that you need to work on or we need to get more volunteers and we need to set up something special for this. But, but don't wait. Get a partner and get started. But I think the partner is key. I think you've got to have another person with you in the mission, with you in the ministry. Notice here what Jesus says about the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. The harvest is plenty and the workers are few. I find this really true in ministry. There, there's a lot that can be done if we just had the people to do it. And, and I, don't, I don't understand Christians who would look at our culture today and say, oh, this, this culture, how terrible. What are we going to do as a Christian? What do you mean this harvest is great? You know how many unchristian, unchurched people there are in our own community? But even as many churches as we have in Newcastle, do you know how many people not only don't go to church, have never gone to church, don't know Jesus at all? Do you know how great the harvest is? It's the workers. It's the workers. Can we start to see ourselves as missionaries? That's so important. The math is still the same. The harvest is plenty. The workers are few. Why are the workers few? Well, Jesus says it. I'm sending you out among the wolves. Jesus doesn't say, I'm sending you out among the butterflies. Okay? I send you out amongst the kittens. That'd be great. It's the wolves. No, they don't, they don't want. The, the, one thing about, uh, the one thing about evil is it doesn't want good. Darkness fears light. Okay? In a play yesterday about Moses, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Why does he harden his heart? Okay? Because evil doesn't want good. Tyranny doesn't want freedom. There's resistance. It's hard work. It's intimidating to walk into a town or a house or a situation that is, that is broken. Sometimes help isn't wanted. That's part of being a disciple. Notice in Jesus' description the reliance on support. This is so fascinating to me. Jesus has a ton of instructions. You're supposed to go knock on a door. You're supposed to first offer them peace. And then if they welcome you, you're supposed to stay there. Okay, and you eat whatever they give you. You're not allowed to complain about what they give you. And, and it's funny because it, he says that workers are worthy of their hire. Like if you're a worker, you deserve to be compensated for that. Okay, you deserve to eat. But also he says stay in the house that you're in. Because wouldn't it be tempting if you started doing ministry at a place and you got a nicer house that said they'd welcome you, that had nicer food and a nicer bed and a bigger TV, and you said, I'm going to go to that house. Jesus says, no, 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 you, you, take, you, just, you stay where you are. You're worthy of your hire. But I think the, the, the larger principle here is that we don't gain from our ministry. Okay, and we've all seen this, right? We've seen TV preachers, we've seen ministries that, that became about building a bigger business and a bigger empire instead of really just staying faithful to what God call, has called them to. This is always the temptation in ministry. 
to move to the bigger house to fix stuff up, to, to do things in a way that starts to glorify yourself and where it's about your gain rather than God's gain. You stay reliant on the support. It's not a moneymaker. It's not a business. When missions become a business, they're not missions anymore. I love this idea, too, of bringing peace. The first thing the 72 are supposed to do is offer a blessing to the house. Offer peace. Now, if they don't want to offer you peace, fine. Okay? Fine. And uh, there's even a, a harsh a harsh thing at the end. So that if they don't accept your peace, you leave. And there's even a ritual that Jesus gives about brushing the dust off of your feet. So when you would travel in the ancient world, in the, in the Middle East, dust is like everywhere. Okay? And so you would get grimy. That's why you had to wash your feet. Okay? Your, your feet would get grimy. But what he said is like dust... Brush the dust of, off your feet from the town that's rejected you. In other words, don't take them with you. Don't take them their critique with you. Don't take their problems with you. You brush your feet off and you move on. And yet, at the same time, you declare to them that the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, I love this image of brushing the, your feet off. Okay, Some people go through stuff in their past and it clings to them. They've got dust on their feet from this happening or that happening or this situation or that problem. Uh, it's like brush your feet off. Move to the next town. Move to the next thing. Learning to move on. Here's the, here's the exact wording. Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come here. Brush it off. Brush off the critique, brush off the rejection, and you move on to the next town. And what was the result for these 72? 72 that went out two by two. Luke 10, 17 tells us, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, the 72 are just amazed. And how their ministry goes. How their mission goes. They're able to cast out demons. They're able to do amazing things. And can you imagine if you're number 64? Like, I, I wasn't on the varsity. I wasn't on session. I did not make the top of the line, right? I wasn't an all-star. And yet, when God worked through me and I went where God told me to, God did what he said he would do. So what I want to say to you today is that you're, this, you're in the 72, everybody. You've been drafted. Okay? And you may not feel like you're an all-star, and you may not feel like you're in the starting lineup, but God has work for you. And God has plans for you. And I'm telling you, this world looks broken, but the harvest is plentiful. Well, the, the work isn't, isn't few. The workers are few. So can we step up into the things that God has for us? Can we go ahead proclaiming that the kingdom of Jesus has come, knowing that the cross of Christ has happened, knowing all that Christ has done for us? Can we go out in this world and say, hey, get ready, world. Can we bring healing? Can we bring a wholeness? Can we bring goodness to people along the way so that when Jesus moves in their life, when Jesus is poured out in our community in a new way, the, the ground is ready. Can we go where God calls us?
We don't have a harvest problem. We got a worker shortage. So I think it's important that we pray for our missionaries and support our missionaries. I think, but I, but I think even more, we need to learn from those missionaries and be inspired by them to be missionaries ourselves in this world. It's critical that we be inspired from them and learn from them because we are the seventy-two. And we are being sent out ourselves into this world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may we be faithful to that calling. Amen.